0: What options are there for conscientious objectors to end the war in Ukraine are coming from within Ukraine? What role did Canada have in building the war in Ukraine? How is a site in Canada pushing illegal recruitment to the Ukrainian military resistance? What sorts of hazards are there in Ukraine for Canadians who sign up to join the resistance to Russian aggression? This week on the Global Research News Hour, as the Russian invasion into Ukraine enters its 3rd month, we focus on the war from a Canadian angle. First, we hear from Yuri Shelyazenko, a journalist, blogger, human rights defender and pacifist based in Ukraine, about his position against the violent fight back against Russia. Then we hear from Glenn Michaelchuk, chair of Peace Alliance Winnipeg, about The different degrees of intervention that take place take people away from peace in the country. Then our final speaker is Ken Stone of the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War. He outlines his campaign against a man championing a website which he says violates the Canadian Foreign Enlistment Act in reference to serving militarily for the Ukrainians in the present conflict and the Canadian government turning a blind eye to it. On this week's program, Canadian fight for Ukraine, investing in peace and avoiding illegal recruitment to war. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of April 29th, 2022 program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are features on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Buying a home has been part of the American dream since the founding of this country. It's been a significant part of financial success, security, and freedom. George Washington declared that, quote, private property and freedom are inseparable, unquote. Now, lower-to-middle-class Americans are being intentionally positioned to become permanent renters, which means they cannot build equity. This is wealth redistribution from the low and middle class to the upper, and it's in line with plans for societal reorganization described under banners such as the Great Reset, Build Back Better, Agenda 21, and the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. That comes from the headline, who will eventually own everything, including you? by Dr. Joseph Mercola, posted April 27th, originally published on the Mercola website. A French journalist who returned from Ukraine after arriving with volunteer fighters told broadcaster C News that Americans are directly in charge of the war on the ground. The assertion was made by Le Figaro senior international correspondent George malbruno malbruno said he had accompanied French volunteer fighters, two of whom had previously fought against ISIS. Quote, I had the surprise, and so did they, to discover that to be able to enter the Ukrainian army, well, it's the Americans who are in charge, unquote, said Malbrunot. That comes from the article Americans are in charge of the war, says French journalist who returned from Ukraine. By Paul Joseph Watson, posted April 28th, originally published on Summit News. Why would the Pentagon want a unified system of biological laboratories? I can think of one reason, although I'm sure there are many more. Let's say. Powerful elites wanted to change our democratic system to a more authoritarian model, the Great Reset, by creating a global crisis that could be used as a pretext for terminating personal freedom, enforcing mandatory vaccination, and imposing martial law. If they had a network of biological labs at their disposal, they could easily release the same identical Pathogen in locations around the world creating the perception of a rapidly spreading virus. In other words, a widespread network of biolabs could be used to simulate a global pandemic. That comes from the article Uncle Sam's Bioweapons Extravaganza by Mike Whitney, posted april twenty seventh, originally published on the UNS Review. The long drawn out process of flushing out and destroying the Ukrainian forces in John has created the opportunity for mounting provocations of Russia supported by Western populations under the influence of war propaganda. These provocations can easily result in a widening of the conflict, resulting in more forceful actions against Russia until the situation explodes. To prevent a drawn-out process, rife with opportunities to pile provocation on provocation is the reason I have thought that Russia needed to act decisively and quickly bring the conflict to an end. It is this failure that is the real threat in the Ukraine conflict. By trying to save a few Ukrainian lives Russia might be endangering the lives of hundreds of millions. That comes from the article, The Real Threat in the Ukraine Conflict Crossing the Red Line Towards Nuclear War? The Russians Have Never Read Machiavelli. By Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, posted April 27th, originally published on his blog site, PCR Institute for Political Economy. As the so called refugees, in Ukraine, pour across the border into Poland, President Zelensky maintains a relentless promotion of the fear, which is the hallmark of the Azov Brigade's Nazi tactics. It is predominantly this that is causing the mass exodus of Ukraine citizens and not the Russian army. Kiev and large parts of West Ukraine have not been militarily targeted by Putin, and while the press likes to spin a storyline of mass bombardment and beatings, the actual evidence for such has never been proved. My personal view is that a solution will be achieved only when the Slav cousins recognize the ultimate commonality of their cultural, trading, and humanitarian needs. Only then will Eastern Europe experience its true geopolitical sense of balance and peace? That comes from the article, Poland is facilitating a U.S. war plan, a Polish resident's perspective on Polish-Russian relationships, by Julian Rose, posted April 27th. The Toronto Zoo absurdly claimed that animals under its care are voluntarily getting injected with the Wuhan coronavirus or COVID-19 vaccine, implying that zoo animals are granting informed consent to be injected with experimental injections that come with the risk of serious side effects or death. Toronto Zoo CEO Dolph De Jong told Canadian News outlet CP24, quote, These are voluntary inoculations. The animals choose to come over and interact with the animal care staff and then are delivered the vaccine. Some days they participate, some days they don't. That comes from the article, COVID Absurdity. Toronto Zoo claims its animals are voluntarily getting injected with the COVID vaccine by Raymond Tomy, posted April 27th, originally published on naturalnews.com. Reacting to the diplomatic gaffe, Polish General Waldemar Skrzybszak, an advisor to Poland's defense minister, angrily denied the allegation that Ukrainian forces were being trained in Poland and said Friday that Boris Johnson was quote, attempting evil, unquote, with his statements about the training of Ukrainian troops abroad amid the conflict with Russia. By disclosing classified information, Johnson, quote, reveals military secrets, unquote, to Russia, the general said, quote, training is a military matter and must be kept under wraps. The man should think before saying such things publicly, unquote. It emerged Friday, Ukrainian troops were being trained in Britain in the use of 120 armored patrol vehicles pledged by Boris Johnson during his surprise visit to Kiev on April 9th. That comes from the article, We are training Ukrainian troops in Poland, says Boris Johnson, reveals military secrets to Russia, by Nauman Sadiq, posted April 27th. As for the invading German Nazi forces, if there were Ukrainians who were prepared to collaborate with them in a cynical manner, Nazis accepted them. And in this manner, these Ukrainian Nazi allies proceeded to kill thousands of Polish people in the Lviv area, and they participated in killing more than 30,000 Jews whose bodies were then thrown in the Babi Yar ravine near Kiev. At the end of World War II, thousands of these Ukrainian Nazi collaborators managed to retreat to Germany and then somehow managed to get accepted as refugees in Canada and and the USA. In Ukraine, they were dealt with as Nazi collaborators, and it's not certain what happened to them. It's now 77 years since the war ended, and you'd think the Nazi era is past history. But it seems that some descendants of these collaborators... Are, are still on the scene as neo-Nazis. That comes from the article Long History of U.S.-Russia Confrontation Analysis of Ukraine-Russia Relations by Professor John Ryan posted April 27th. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. The war in Ukraine has stretched into its 64th day. The media has gone ballistic with demonizing images of Russian President Putin accusing him of war crimes in Ukraine and even comparing him to Hitler. Through it all, it is understandable that people would feel driven to engage Russia militarily through NATO. Hence, in Canada, we saw support for increasing military spending and supporting sending lethal aid to the Ukrainian resistance. The Global Research News Hour presents an alternative response and solution to the conflict that won't be seen in the corporate-driven media. We present to you now a couple of voices appearing on the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute video, Cutting Through the Spin, Russia's Invasion, Renato's Provocation, and Canada's Complicity. It was filmed on March 5th, 2022. The first speaker is Yuri Shelyazenko. He's a member of the Board of Directors of World Beyond War. He's Ukrainian and based in Kiev. He is the executive secretary for the Ukrainian Pacifist Movement, and a board member for the European Bureau for Conscientious Objection. As well, he is a journalist, blogger, human rights defender, legal scholar, as well as an author and academic.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh, I would like to express gratitude to organizers of our webinar for the opportunity to discuss so important and timely issue. Every day after the illegal Russian invasion to Ukraine, uh, 24th February, uh, sirens are hauling and rockets are booming in Kiev such powerfully uh, that my five floors house is shaking. In fact, in the first sleepless night, I heard two explosions uh, before uh, reading in the news that Putin ordered his army to liberate Ukraine from neo nazis My friend and former prisoners of conscience Ruslan Katsaba as well as I, is listed in far-right Mirotworis database as traitor to Ukraine. Neo-Nazis several times assaulted him and severely injured his eye for his call to boycott military mobilization in 2015 uh, to war against pro-Russian separatists. For his next anti-war vlogs and uh, for activities of Ukrainian pacifist movement, neo-Nazis also painted on my door a year ago and broke my camera when I filmed them, but I'm sure that the Ukrainian police should deal with Ukrainian neo-Nazi, and it is not Putin's business. Uh, police did nothing, which is a shame, uh, but it is not an excuse for Putin's invasion of Ukraine and killing of thousands of civilians. Intentionally or not, c- uh, casualties were predictable anyway. Putin should go away from Ukraine with his army and resolve his geopolitical, cultural and historical disputes with our president and our people at the negotiation table, as well as dispute peacefully, dispute between Russia and the West with President Biden. Unfortunately, warmongers are not interested in negotiations. Uh, Look at the rising stocks of merchants of death at the stock market. And of course, uh, they are pushing their agenda. Uh, They demand escalatory more military aid for Ukraine and destructive economic sanctions against Russia. They gathered uh, a million of signatures demanding intervention of NATO countries uh, to close the airspace over Ukraine and deploy Western peacekeepers to fight putin peacekeepers basically asking to escalate war risking to provoke nuclear strike uh, NATO refused to engage t- in direct confrontation with Russia, but NATO countries are continuing to support Zelensky regime, both militarily and uh, in propaganda war, discouraging Ukrainian government from seeking peaceful settlement, also pushing out Russia uh, from international institutions, encouraging Russia to persist in armed aggression. Diplomacy is failing because current conflict is a result of worldwide investing in war and under-investing in diplomacy. Uh, perhaps Canadian economy is less corrupted by militarism uh, than economies of other countries. Since Canadian uh, war budget uh, is uh, uh, $23 billions, uh, uh, and uh, it is only three times exceeds Canadian's global affairs budget, uh, $7 billions, uh, In the United States, the disbalance is uh, 10 times. In Russia, uh, 20 times, and uh, in Europe, Ukraine 24 times, but operation unifier and other Canadian military aid and toleration of Ukrainian non-compliance with Minsk agreements and complete disregard to history and context of emerging conflict between the East and uh, West and inflammatory role of the United uh, uh, States-led NATO uh, were contribution of Canada to escalation of conflict and uh, current degradation. Ukraine became a battlefield of the new Cold War between the United States and Russia. Two great powers are competing uh, for control over Ukraine, uh, using and inflating in their global power struggle militant nationalism of the Ukrainian government and similar militant nationalism of pro-Russian separatists in Donetsk and Luhansk. Neo-Nazi fought on both sides of eight years war between Ukrainian government and pro-Russian separatists. Uh, Varakh battalion and uh, Russian national unity on Russian side and Azov battalion at the right sector, probably sector uh, in Ukrainian side. peaceful life of Ukraine was destroyed by this militant nationalism and great power struggle during a week uh, or uh, more precisely uh, 10 days after Russian invasion to Ukraine, two thousands of civilians were killed, including tens of children, hundreds of children wounded, uh, ten thousands of people were injured. Uh, new hundreds of uh, thousands of people are displaced and seeking refuge in addition to millions refugees in Russia and in Europe. Uh, for United Nations estimation, new refugees uh, uh, around 1 million. Russia wages aggressive war against Ukraine, which should be denounced and stopped. No doubts about that. But instead of breaking the last bonds of humanity out of rage, instead of giving up diplomacy, we need more than ever to preserve and strengthen venues of communication and cooperation between all people on earth. I experienced a lot of hate for my refusal to bear arms and public call to Ukraine-Russia negotiations uh, from friends and neighbors supporting army and making Molotov cocktails to kill the enemy. Uh, I had sweet dreams of evacuation from family uh, with my family from Kiev to, you know, I dreamed more peaceful country, maybe abroad, uh, as visiting fellow, probably to some university or like that. But returning to reality, uh, I should mention that all men in age uh, of uh, from uh, 18 to 60 are prohibited in freedom of movement, uh, can't even rent a room in hotel without authorization from military commissar. Uh, Uh, Because in our militarized uh, culture, mandatory gender role uh, of all men uh, is warrior and almost nobody respects human right to conscientious objection to military service. Exceptions for some religious denominations are hardly accessible. Because of bureaucratic labyrinths and alternative non-military service has punitive, discriminatory nature, secular pacifists and objectors on purely ethical grounds have no chances for official recognition. However, I continue to believe that war is a crime against humanity and refuse to participate in any kind of war and strive for the removal of all causes of war, and first cause uh, is lack of truth. All sides of conflict say there are angels and other side are demons, but in fact uh, not only Ukraine but Russia too needs demilitarization and denazification, and both Putin and Zelensky should recognize it. Uh, to finish, I hope that we with the help of all people in the world, telling the truth to the power, demanding to stop shooting and start talking, aiding those who need it, uh, and investing into peace culture and education for nonviolent citizenship, uh, we uh, could together build a better world, better world without armies and borders, a world where truth and love are great powers, embracing East and West.
0: The next speaker was Glenn Michaelchuk. He is chair of Peace Alliance Winnipeg and president of the Winnipeg branch of the Association of United Ukrainian Canadians.
2: Uh, Thank you. And thank you to the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute uh, for organizing this webinar at such a critical time. I say this is a critical time because efforts to stop the war and secure a space for diplomacy and peace negotiations is vital if we are to prevent this war from growing in scope to involve NATO. Our discussion tonight is important in mobilizing public opinion against the war and the urgent necessity, necessity to end it. Public opinion at this point is being bombarded with the images and suffering of war. I see no substantial narrative to end this war and the suffering it is causing. I especially don't see it in our politicians. With the exception of a few lone voices in terms of the war now raging in ukraine and how wide this war may grow canada bears significant responsibility as do all the countries of the nato alliance until the war broke out the people of ukraine were treated as pawns in the overarching and long-standing confrontation of nato with russia as nato expanded eastward this is in addition to the eight years of civil war endured in east ukraine following the violence of 2014 in what some call, including the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, the revolution of dignity. That civil war resulted in an estimated 13,000 dead, 30,000 wounded, and 1 million people displaced from the conflict zone into Ukraine and Russia. Before this war, the victims of the civil war were forgotten and this continued as tensions rose in January and February of this year. The OSCE began to report a record number of ceasefire violations in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. I don't recall any statement of Canadian foreign affairs or any debate in Parliament for a ceasefire in those regions. During the eight years of civil war, Canada's response was not to find solutions, but to better arm and train the Ukrainian military as part of its alliance with requirements for admission to NATO. It is not possible to give a full picture of the influence of the Ukrainian right wing in in Canadian political decision-making in a short space of time. However, its history and role is very well documented by Richard Sanders, and I would encourage you to check out his work. The main vehicle for this influence is the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. The UCC is an organization of the Cold War, and the impetus for its formation was the Canadian state, as it took up the politics of the cold war the ucc and the canadian state share the cold war politics of the past and the present and of course of special significance to the influence of the ucc is christia freeland and her links to the ucc not surprisingly then the positions of the ucc on russia and ukraine have driven canada's policy on ukraine regardless of which party is in power Its reach extends to include all members of Parliament through the Canada-Ukraine Parliamentary Friendship Group that, according to the UCC, has a membership of over 100 MPs. A UCC 2019 policy paper titled Strengthening Canadian-Ukrainian Defence and Security Relations notes, and I quote, Ukraine is the front line of our defence against Kremlin aggression, end quote and calls for removal of Russia from the SWIFT payment system and Ukraine's admission into NATO. The removal of Russia from SWIFT has now happened. The possibility of Ukraine's admission into NATO remains a central issue in the war. In the period of January and February, as tensions rose between Ukraine and Russia, Canada was a protagonist for measures to escalate tensions. At the end of January, a Take Note debate was held in Parliament. Preceding it, the UCC presented its briefing package to MPs. If one reads the Hansard of the debate, what is striking is the similar language used by MPs to frame the situation as the need to confront Russia and the need to escalate measures against Russia through sanctions, providing more military aid to Ukraine and recommitting to Canada's training mission in Ukraine. So the relationship is pervasive and it has conditioned canadian policy to the extent that canada cannot represent any other position than that of confrontation in a webinar hosted jointly by the ucc and liberal mps representing the prairie provinces both ministers jolie and freeland appeared along alongside leading functionaries of the ucc the webinar was called canada's role in protecting ukraine It was in late January and at a time when diplomacy still had the possibility of averting war. As Minister Jolie had just returned from a diplomatic mission to Europe, one in which she did not meet her Russian counterpart, you would have expected that she could have spoken about diplomatic initiatives. However, she made only passing reference to the Minsk agreements. In the webinar both Jolie and Freeland emphasized the need for hard power and confronting Russia. Krista Freeland spoke about Ukraine as the battleground between democracy and authoritarianism. Freeland was to emphasize this and her pride in Canada's supply of lethal aid to Ukraine at the UCC rally in Toronto last Sunday. Uh, In conclusion, I believe there's an opportunity to avert this war. There was an opportunity to avert this war. It required diplomacy and lessening of tensions. Canada and others undercut the diplomacy by escalating tensions and giving no space for dialogue. In hindsight, it is if there was a timetable to bring things to a boiling point. I look forward to the anti-war rallies planned for Sunday. We must change the course of what is happening. We must stop this war and the devastation it is bringing. We must avert the danger it poses of engulfing all humanity. Thank you.
0: You just heard Yuri Shelezenko and Glenn Michaelchuk, two of the panelists, on a talk hosted by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute entitled Cutting Through the Spin Russia's Invasion, NATO's Provocation, and Canada's Complicity. You can find it on YouTube, hosted by Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. We're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. This is Michael Welch for the Global Research News Hour. In late February, uh, in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a Hamilton man by the name of Chris Eckland opened up a website, fightforukraine.ca which instructs people on how to come to the aid of the country under assault. It includes fighting against the Russians. According to a CBC report, he says he wants to inform Canadians about the true realities of war. However, anti-war demonstrators in Hamilton say The website is an illegal recruitment device as it provides a link to a website which allows people to directly enlist in a voluntary force of of foreign fighters, thereby violating the Canadian Foreign Enlistment Act, banning Canadians from enlisting in a foreign country. Worse than that, the group says the Canadian federal government who are supporting the Ukrainian government with arms and diplomatic support, has so far not taken any action against Eklund, not even asking him to take it down. We're going to discuss this matter further with our guest. Ken Stone is one of those anti-war activists. He's the treasurer of the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War. He's also a former steering committee member of the Canadian Peace Alliance and an executive member of the Syria Solidarity Movement.org and a frequent guest of this program. Nice to have you here again, Glenn Ken.
3: It's my pleasure, Michael. Just wanted to correct one thing. The uh, Syria Solidarity Movement International has changed its name to the Syria Support Movement International just last week. So that's just for future reference.
0: Okay, for sure. Now, uh, people who want to go fight for what they think is a good cause, I mean, Canada can't participate for various reasons, but maybe some Canadians have a committed heart and want to go. What is the reason this legislation exists in the first place?
3: Well, there's a history to that, uh, Michael. The legislation was first promulgated back in April of 1937, Uh, and it was uh, promulgated by the Mackenzie King government in response to the tremendous show of working-class internationalism that uh, by the Communist Party of Canada in recruiting 1,500 Canadians to go and fight fascism in the Spanish Civil War in 1936. And it's amazing to note that the uh, Canada provided more fighters against the fascist uh, Generalissimo Franco uh, in Spain than any other foreign country in the world. And uh, Mackenzie King didn't like this very much. He didn't like. He, uh, he didn't like workers. He didn't like uh, working class internationalism, and so he promulgated this law to try and hamstring the recruiting efforts of the. Communist Party of Canada for the uh, uh, for the fight against fascism and as your as your listeners probably know uh, the Spanish Civil War was the precursor to World War II and on one side the uh, Nazi government of Germany and the fascist government of uh, Mussolini in Italy were arming and supporting uh, Franco to the teeth against the legitimate government of Spain, which was elected, it was a socialist government or a social democrat government. And uh, Franco decided he was gonna overthrow it. uh, And uh, the, uh, the, uh, the parties, the communist parties of the world raised support and arms and, um, and fighters uh, because they were in the uh, global movement to defeat fascism. Unfortunately, it didn't win in Spain. And uh, then we needed six years of a second world war in order to defeat fascism around the world. Hmm. Well, now
0: it seems like Canada's, uh, now they, they've sort of shifted in, in a sense because Now they're 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 not doing anything about this apparently. I mean, what what do
3: you think about uh, that? If they know it's illegal under the law, if uh, if they know it's illegal under the law and they are turning a blind eye to it, by they I mean the uh, government of Canada, Uh, they're turning a blind eye to it because in the hysteria of war that's been uh, that that's been created. Uh, in support of Ukraine in this country and in all the Western uh, world, actually, um, they, they feel that nobody is going to notice that uh, the Canadian government uh, is allowing Chris Eklund, a Hamilton multimillionaire businessman, uh, to uh, openly recruit for the uh, Zelensky government's uh international uh legion for the defense of ukraine it's flagrantly illegal but he's and he's opened a website uh i think it was march 1st or march 2nd Uh, the website makes it very clear uh in, in a number of places on the website which anybody can check out that uh mr Eklund is encouraging people but of course he's He's denying it. He's saying it's not a uh, a, uh, a recruiting site. I'm me- he's merely counseling which people to uh, volunteer for active military service and which people should not go and which people should go as perhaps medics or in uh, humanitarian workers or in other capacities. But the website is there. It gives the link to uh, the Ukrainian. It, Encourages people who want to fight inside Ukraine for Zelensky's uh, Zelensky's government uh, and its foreign legion to uh, click on the links to the um, foreign missions of the Ukrainian government in Canada. And there's three of them. There are three of them. The first one is the uh, embassy in Ottawa. The second one is the. consulate in Toronto and the third one is the consulate in Edmonton. And all three of them, especially the one in Toronto, which blatantly does so uh, uh, on its, uh, and we have a screenshot in case they decide to change it, they all advertise for Canadians to join the uh, uh, Ukraine's foreign legion. And by the way, according to the Foreign Enlistment Act of 1937, Foreign missions, foreign diplomatic missions in Canada are also uh, prohibited from trying to recruit Canadians to fight in foreign wars. The only people under the Act that they're allowed to try to recruit are their own nationals. So, in other words, the Ukrainian uh, missions in Canada could advertise for Ukrainians living in Canada to volunteer, but they don't. They open it to anyone in Canada who wants to volunteer. And so, uh, so this is
1: the,
3: this, the action by Chris Eklund and by the Ukrainian missions is flagrantly illegal under the law. And the, Canadian, the government of uh, Justin Trudeau is turning a blind eye to this uh, violation of Canada's legislation. I also should point out a couple of other things. Number one, um, Chris Eklund is not just any rich uh, Hamilton businessman. He also happens to own the Canadian Process Serving, which is the largest uh, process serving company in all of Canada and maybe North America. Um, And it's part of the legal system. It is the uh, organization that works with the judicial system to serve people's summonses and affidavits and all kinds of other legal things. So he's part of the legal system and he should be setting an example of obeying the law and upholding the law. And instead, he is spectacularly defying the law in this case. Another point that I'd like to uh, make is that, It's not only illegal for Canadians to go over and fight for the Ukraine and its foreign legion, it's also dangerous because we've had many, uh, we've seen many articles and tweets and Facebook posts from people, Canadians and other Westerners who've gone over there. Their passports are taken away from them as soon as they cross the border. they are uh, put in harm's way immediately. They are uh, the reason their their passports are taken away is to discourage them from um, from um, deserting. But they have good reason for deserting because they are often sent in suicide missions with maybe ten bullets in their pack and lucky to have a helmet. Um, and so uh, if they were to be injured, uh, uh, they could well, for one thing, they could die over there. They could also be injured in a serious way, and the Canadian government is under no obligation to bring them back. Um, we don't know how the, how exactly the, uh, the Russian army would treat mercenaries. Uh, I think they've indicated that they would have very little patience with mercenaries and might not extend to them the, uh, the legality of being a prisoner of war. So, It's a really, really dangerous enterprise to go over there. And I think it's, um, I think it's irresponsible for Mr. Eklund to be openly advertising to send Canadians in harm's way on such a suicidal mission. Another point I'd like to make about the Canadian government is that two Canadian cabinet ministers have made statements over the past two months Actually, encouraging Canadians to go over and, uh, and fight in Ukraine. One of them was Defense Minister, Madame Anita Anand, and the other one is our Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister, Madame Christia Freeland. So um, there, it's, it's, there's, it's one thing for Chris Eklund. To do this as allegedly a private citizen, but actually a person who's deeply involved in the in the um, in the judicial system, but it's another thing to for the two ministers of the government actually to break Canadian law. It's it's absolutely outrageous. And now we hear that there's been a secret memo uh, circulated to federal civil servants. Um, giving them some information in case they're thinking of going over to volunteer in Ukraine. So the Canadian government is deeply involved in breaking its own laws and what it's really doing here by providing mercenaries for Ukraine is fueling the fight, it's fueling the war, Uh, it's fanning the flames of uh, conflict that the Ukrainian government cannot possibly win. What should be happening, what we say should be happening in the Hamilton coalition to stop the war is that there, the Canadian government should be trying to de-escalate the conflict. It should stop sending arms, which they've sent so much of, even including the Canadian gov- Army's heavy artillery pieces in the last week. And funding to the tune of well over a billion dollars of Canadian taxpayers' money, and now mercenaries. So they should stop this flow that's, uh, uh, that's fueling this fight. They should be, The Canadian government should be calling for a de-escalation of the fight and the earliest possible negotiations to bring about a negotiated settlement of this war before any more people are killed and any more civilian infrastructure is destroyed. Okay. That's our position.
0: Okay, Ken, what uh how many Canadians so far have been sent over and do you know if anyone has actually been injured or killed in the uh, the debacle so far?
3: Okay, good question. According to the CBC's current the current back on I think it was March 25th, yeah. Um there was a uh, there was a statement made that there are at that time, that's a month ago, there were at that time 550 Canadians fighting in the uh, Zelensky forces in the Ukrainian army, enough to form their own battalion. And uh, since then, there may have been more that have gone over there. I would expect that there are more over there. Um, There what we have heard that some have been injured, the uh, there was a um, an attack on the the training camp in near uh, Lvov in uh, in western Ukraine uh, early in the war by a uh, by a Russian hypersonic missile. Which uh, there's two uh, there's two accounts. In one account. 35 of the foreign fighters were killed and a hundred and some 35 more or 45 more were injured. And then there's, uh, the Russian account, which says that 185 fighters were killed and many more hundreds more were injured as a result of that. Some Canadians, uh, decided to go home and we have, there's an article in the Hamilton spectator. Where have I put it? Here it is. Um, It's dated, uh, Monday, April 11th. And it's a story about one of these Canadian, uh, recruits that spent time in the Ukrainian army as a foreign volunteer age, a six. And, uh, after the missile strike, uh, he got out really fast. And, um, after seeing many of, uh, his comrades, uh, killed and injured. So, um, This goes on um, and um, Chris Eklund's website stays open. Um, I imagine that it's not quite so popular a cause as it was at the beginning of the war. Now that people in Canada have seen that, uh, you know, that the Ukrainian army is losing badly and they cannot possibly win. And that many of these foreign volunteers have been killed and have been injured and many have tried to get out. Wow. Uh, so what specific actions have you taken to address this uh, situation with the government? We have only issued our statement and we have conducted interviews with media who've, uh, who've kindly um, called us up for more information, like yourself. Uh, we're always glad to talk to global research Uh, You you provide a a very good information service to Canadians. Uh, Unfortunately, when we sent out our original statement, we sent it to 800 media outlets, mainstream media outlets in Canada. and And only one, only one out of 800 responded. And that was CBC Hamilton, which wrote a pretty fair and balanced story. And the other 799 decided to uh, ignore and censor us, which tells you something about press freedom in Canada and censorship in Canada. Uh, in the alternate media, we've had you know, a number of stories, the Canada Files and, uh, and some others. And uh, uh, for example, um, uh, Chris Cook's Guerrilla Radio, the Taylor Report. And now you, uh, you Michael, from uh, Global Research So we appreciate that the alternate media in Canada is there and they are providing the service for Canadians that the mainstream media is not. Mm. Well, isn't it possible if
0: this, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, quite, you know, they're, they're acting quite illegally. I mean, is there a a legal action or or something that could be taken against the government?
3: Yes, it's possible for someone to file a formal complaint uh, to the, Solicitor General, I th- uh, I think that's Mr. Lametti, uh, or to uh, you know, we've had a legal opinion that uh, we could go to the Hamilton Police Service and ask them ask them to take action against Chris Eckland. We haven't done so yet. We're still considering it. Uh, we're waiting to see how things go. Um, but to be perfectly frank, uh, I'm not sure that either course of action would provide. Um, any, um, any change in the government's attitude towards the uh, Chris Eklund's website, which is called fightforukraine.ca. Um, I think the Canadian government is in over its head uh, with this. Um, and uh, to prosecute Mr. Um, even to send him a letter uh, which is I've been advised by a legal uh, counsel uh, to cease and desist would mean that the, the government of Canada the two ministers that have, come, have made public statements about Canadians going over there would be the government would find that very embarrassing and they would have to do a vault fast on the whole issue And in, uh, in short I think even if somebody took action at this point the government's policy towards recruiting for Ukraine uh, Foreign Legion would not change.
0: If you just joined us, we're talking with uh, Ken Stone. He is a uh, member of the uh, the, the Treasury the treasurer of the Hamilton coalition to stop the war. Can uh, I want to maybe just s- stretch out a bit to the uh, the other aspects of, of your your campaign? I mean, you, you talked about how um, NATO is simply fueling more and more uh, weaponry and so on to, to fight against the Russians, but they they ultimately can't win. And uh, maybe you could just state your reasons for saying why the Ukrainian resistance cannot, under any circumstances,
3: ultimately resist what the Russians are are doing there. Um, in the coalition, we look at uh, the war uh, in Ukraine as a proxy war being waged by the U.S. and NATO against the Russian Federation. Of course, in Canada here, uh, the mainstream media and the Trudeau government blame everything on the Russians Russia is bad according to them nothing Russia does is good and so they sanction every every tree and every lamppost in Russia but in, in our view um, th- what this war started uh, actually uh, around 1991 when US Secretary of State James Baker made a promise to the last Soviet president, Mikhail Gorbachev, that NATO would not expand even one inch eastward of a reunited Germany. And so Gorbachev uh, allowed uh, Germany to reunite under the promise that NATO wouldn't expand anywhere eastward. Of course, Baker lied. And uh, there's lots of evidence of the do- in the documents that he deliberately lied to Gorbachev. And NATO expanded 800 kilometers eastward in the last 30 years and taken up 14 countries of the former Soviet Union and Warsaw Pact. And the game is the game is to expand NATO right to all the borders of the Russian Federation and then to dismember Russia in the same way that NATO dismembered uh, the former Yugoslavia over the 1990s. NATO is not a defensive alliance. It is an aggressive U.S. military alliance, and in the years following the demise of the Soviet Union, instead of dissolving itself, because it, its whole purpose was to contain uh, Soviet Russia, it didn't dissolve itself, and instead it waged wars in also in Yugoslavia, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Libya. It destroyed Libya. Uh, it's a failed state right now. so. Uh, at each point in the expansion of NATO, Russia complained bitterly. And, you know, that. and I think it was in uh, 2008, uh, Mr. Putin drew a red line around Ukraine and said, if you're going, if you think you're going to make Ukraine a NATO state, you're going, you're, you're going to get pushback from us. But of course, the U.S. and NATO didn't listen. And Canada is the, among the worst of the NATO Uh, Countries in this respect by um, spending money and influence and over in between 1991 and 2014, Victoria Newland, who was the Under Secretary of State for the United States, boasted that she spent five billion U.S. dollars in 15 years overthrowing the government of Ukraine, the democratically elected government of Yanukovych. And Canada, nobody, hardly any Canadians know, spent $1 billion to help organize the Orange Revolution in 2004 and the um, Maidan coup in 2014, which put in a coup government, a pro-Western coup government riddled with Nazis and its security services and its government. And that coup government waged a war for the last eight years, which has been ignored by the media in the West and by the governments in the West against the Russian-speaking people in the Donbass region of Ukraine. And that war took uh, approximately 14,000 lives and turned and created 1 million refugees uh, who are mostly the Russian speakers in the Donbass region. and they were planning even a bigger if offensive, in the spring, that is to say, Zelensky's government. So the Russian government, uh, the Russian government struck back, and the Russian government, uh, the Russian army is much more capable than the Ukrainian army. They wiped up in the first three hours. They they won the war by wiping out the Ukrainian air force, by wiping out the general staff and the communications. The rest of what we've been seeing in the last two months is merely a mopping up operation. It's dangerous because any war, especially between the great powers, can lead to a general war in Europe and even a a nuclear third world war, which would wipe us all out. But in my view, the Ukrainian government, despite all the arms and all the talk from the West and all the money being funded in there, which a lot of which goes to Mr. Zelensky's, private account, which now apparently exceeds $850 million, um, all that is not going to help the Ukrainian army win. They're being ground up right now in eastern Ukraine, and the the end is in sight. It would be much smarter for Mr. Zelensky to cut a deal before more people are killed and more, uh, more infrastructure is lost. That's my view. Okay.
0: Well, on that note, I want to thank you, Ken, for coming on the show and uh, explaining all the situation to our listeners. It's my pleasure, Michael. Anytime. Okay. We've been speaking with Ken Stone. He's the treasurer of the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War. And he, of course, joined us from Hamilton. So, as we have been hearing over the course of several weeks, there's a high degree of misinformation and disinformation coming not just from Russian sources, but from NATO country bases as well. And in order to keep this information flowing, certain inconvenient truths have to be shut down, and truth-tellers as well. Recently, two of Global Research Hour's sources, Scott Ritter and Pepe Escobar, were shut off of Twitter. And there are stories of false flag attacks by the Ukrainian forces against Russia that have come out, through videographer Patrick Lancaster, through his excellent YouTube reports. As Max Blumenthal mentioned, reports out of Mariupol of Russians attacking a church and destroying a lot of civilians didn't really make sense, and nothing is told about the Azov-Matsi battalions attacking his own citizens. The media, without often verifying their sources, continue to barrage media viewers with allegations the Russians conducted every crime in the country. I will say once again, Global Research Hour does not support the Russian invasion of Ukraine and supports peace, but it is necessary to widen the picture to see some of the history behind the conflict, seeing the U.S. RAND report into overextending and unbalancing Russia and witnessing Ukrainian forces preparing to invade the donbass region so we come to rational conclusions about the motives of Putin as linked to something other than being the second coming of Adolf Hitler that's it for this week thanks again for the clips from the Canadian foreign policy Institute next week we will attempt to comprehend the situation in Pakistan and beyond with the uh, group with the coup launched Earlier this month against Imran Khan. I hope you will be there. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji Creek, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show is aired on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been the show's host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.